0: Hey everybody, Eva here. I'm your co-host of this podcast and founder of Wellacopia, the matching site that helps you find your ideal practitioners for your individual conditions and needs. And today I have the enormous privilege of sharing with you my conversation with the breathtakingly beautiful, inside and out, Nitika Chopra. We explore the concept of being an influencer and how it really translates to being human, dating someone who loves you despite your illness, and her definition of self-love. There are so many accomplishments and admirable qualities to list about Nitika, but I have to kick off with a few of them. Nitika has been a leader in the wellness industry as a talk show host, on-air expert, and renowned blogger since 2010. She has empowered thousands of women around the world to embrace natural beauty and establish tangible access to self-love. Nitika is also known for her straightforward tone and intense vulnerability, which is why I had to have her on this podcast. And she recently took everything she learned from suffering with whole body psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis for the past 27 years to create a conversation about self-love in the chronic illness community. There's so much more to say and so many exciting opportunities she is in the midst of creating for us, hint, hint, look up Chronicon, but I want to jump right in. Please enjoy this very special episode with Nitika Chopra. Nitika Chopra, thank you for joining us on the Invisible Not Broken podcast today. It's truly an honor to have you on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to be here.
0: I so wholeheartedly say that because when I decided to launch this new series of conversations with chronic illness influencers or Spoonie influencers, you are at the top of my list because you identify or you embody that definition to a T. Uh, And of course, when I think of influencer, I really mean a leader because you're unwaveringly dedicated to support and empower. Uh, And it's abundantly clear how much you care. Like, I feel your care on and offline, Mm -hmm. (laughs) truly through your communities, through your content. Uh, And actually this morning, I decided to look at our first interaction, which was almost two years ago. Uh, And that was through email. I reached out to you because I was, uh, we had mutual friends and I uh, started, genuinely in the the nicest way possible stalking you (laughs) and uh, Could not reach out Uh, from there we met and uh, talked about how we have overlapping missions and Actually something we'll talk about later in the podcast. You alluded to something that you're creating now uh, and you're You're very dedicated to your word when you set out to do something. So uh, I'm not surprised that it came to fruition at all Uh, but so enough about uh, This I want to jump right in and ask if you'd tell us our story tell your story which is filled to the brim with Adventure and pain and enlightenment. Uh, I Really want to know How it impacted you back then leading up to where you are today?
1: Sure um
2: well thank you for all those kind words and for having me. Um I'm excited to to share and, and to chat with you today. Um so I I mean my story, you know, I'm 38 so my story is pretty long, but what I will say is my my health story really started when I was 10 years old and um I was diagnosed with a skin condition and an autoimmune disease called psoriasis. And I ended up getting it you know, pretty rapidly. It was kind of one of those things where I almost don't remember how fast it, you know, grew because it just felt like it was overnight, but obviously it wasn't exactly overnight. And it kind of went from just one spot on my arm and like a little bit in my scalp to growing from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. And, um, That did happen pretty rapidly. And then it stayed that way for the better part of 17 years of my life. Um, And when I was 19, almost 10 years into that diagnosis, I ended up getting psoriatic arthritis. And so my bones started to deform and um, I really couldn't walk without severe pain. So my health story has been pretty intense. Um, And yeah, and it's interesting because now as I'm like, really taking everything I went through and doing everything I can to have it fuel my, you know, purpose and, and how I help other people. It's been interesting because I've been like really reflecting on how i grateful I feel. And sometimes I, I don't love it when people say like, oh, I'm so grateful that this happened because it's not the whole story, you know, like, yeah, I'm grateful. But this also really sucked, and this also was really hard, and it was incredibly painful, and it was traumatizing. But lately, and obviously this is like 10, 11 years out of the worst of it, right, Um, I've just been feeling really grateful to the fact that it was such a teacher in my life. And I'm not over it, right? Like I still have psoriasis. I still have psoriatic arthritis um but I'm not in suffering the way that I was before which I'm very very grateful for. Um but yeah it it was my biggest teacher in my life. So
1: that's a bit about my story.
0: Yeah, I I don't know why we have to define it one way or the other if we're sort of on the the, the better side of it. It's um we we suffered back then or we're still suffering, but that doesn't mean there's not a silver lining to it. I you know I created because I experience the same pain as the people that we serve Uh, but I also still experience this every day and it has impacted I pretty much my whole life uh, just like yours and but I think what is part of being uh, a leader in this community is that you're truly resilient and uh, not that that doesn't mean that you're not down to earth. In fact, I think you're, you're incredibly down to earth. Uh, I actually, yeah. What do what do you think down to earth means in, in this kind of situation or as a leader?
1: As a leader? I mean, I think
2: I've never really thought about that before. I guess what I would say down to earth would mean to me is just like knowing that you're not special. <laughs> like that's probably the biggest thing um and we're all special right like that's that's the truth like we're all special and like you're not the only one that's special i think is the the biggest humbling thing that you can think about i'm very spiritual so i think of everything as it relates to god and not not any kind of denomination but just you know spiritual teacher and, and like ruler of my life and um yeah and so i feel like we are all god we all have the ability to do every single thing that I'm doing, someone else has the ability to do it. Maybe it's not their destiny to do it. Maybe it's not their desire to do it. Um, but, you know, we all, and we all have our own gifts that we're meant to, to bring out and, and share with the world and share with people that are close to us. But um, at the same time, we all have gifts, right? So I think that's probably been my biggest lesson as of like, kind of worked in the wellness industry in the self-help world for 10 years now. And I've been around a lot of leaders who, you know, have sometimes rubbed me the wrong way and felt a little bit like they're on a pedestal or, you know, and it's not always that the leader is putting themselves on a pedestal. Sometimes it's a result of, you know, their followers putting them on a pedestal. Um, But there's so much totalitarianism where it's like, you know, this is the way and this is the yoga you need to do. And this is the thing. This is the only thing. This is the only celery juice. And like, I mean, I can don't even get me started. Right. And I'm just like, no, actually, like the way is your way, whatever you decide that you want to do. I'm just telling you what I'm going through. I am not an expert in like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a patient. That's like really how I think of myself. You know, I'm a patient and I'm I have I've built enough courage to be able to try to push through all of my fears to see if I can help someone. That's really it, you know, and I happen to also really love branding and I happen to also really love, you know, public speaking and and skills that happen to be really helpful for what I want to do. But I just think of it in those like nuts and bolts ways. I don't really think of it as anything else, you know. Um and I think that that's I think that's important. You know, if I were to sit here and put myself on a pedestal or want people to put me on a pedestal, people can get knocked down from those pedestals so fast and in such crazy ways. And I think that's been a part of it too, is that I'm very sensitive. And so I always want to keep myself in check so that I make sure I'm presenting myself and showing up in the world in a way that I can be proud of and that has integrity so that there's nowhere to knock me down from because I'm not doing anything that's like not exactly how I feel or... And I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm definitely not perfect, but that's even part of it, right? Like I never said I was going to be perfect. I'm sitting here talking to you like basically in my pajamas and my hair looks insane and I'm like wearing glasses and I'm just like whatever. Like I... My neck is hurting. My body is sore. I'm just showing up the best that I possibly can. But if I had, you know, taken myself way more seriously in the sense of like, oh, no, I have to be perfect all the time and I have to show up the exact way and I have to this or that, it just wouldn't, you know, I don't know. I don't think it would serve anyone. (laughs) So, so yeah. So I feel like, you know, being grounded and, and all of that is, is a spiritual practice really
0: and this is why i love you <laughs> cuz that's so evident it's so evident in everything that you do and uh i actually wanted to kind of break that notion when starting something like this like this you know quote unquote influencer series because i don't know exactly how that's defined but maybe it's just the number of people who know you and love you and follow you but but a real leader is someone who is part of the community that they lead, and you really really are that i'm so glad that you're you're vulnerable in what you do and get you know a taste of that today you are already uh like at the end of the day we're all just human we're yeah just freaking human yeah it's true we're all human
2: we all you know And the other thing I realized, like a lot of us think a lot of the same thoughts at some point in our life have the same insecurities. Maybe some have it louder in some ways and softer in others, but we all, we're all pretty much the same, you know? And yeah, and, and especially in the chronic illness community, it's like, I mean, and it's funny because I've started like watching myself even when I say chronic illness community, because I feel like we don't have enough of a community as much as I want us to yet even. So those dealing with a chronic illness is kind of how I want to reframe that because we don't, we need to have more of a community, you know, which is what I'm hoping with your work and my work that we're going to be able to do. But, um, but yeah, I feel like that's what makes me feel that much more connected to people who are dealing with chronic illness because it's like growing up, I remember always feeling very different than everybody around me for so many reasons. But a lot of it I see now as an adult has a lot to do with the fact that my body was going through such intense stuff that it made my emotional state so different. So like if my brother is sitting next to me experiencing the same exact childhood, you know... His experience of it is completely different than mine because my body was falling apart like at scenes, like every day, you know, and so that added a level of trauma and emotional, you know, um, just exhaustion and so many things. So I think that that makes me feel like we are in this together. I get so many messages from people who are like, you know, thanks for my messages or whatever, my content. And I'm just like, girl, I'm doing I'm just just doing this right alongside with you. We're in this together. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have all the answers yet. I'm just trying to tell you, like, the one thing maybe I learned this morning, and then we can try again tomorrow.
0: You do it in, in a really <laughs> impactful way, which is great. And like you said, using your talent, like, who you are, this is the gift that you have uh, for the world, and you're using it to the, the best of your ability. Um for a community that you identify with. And that's wonderful. Like, I think my, um, the gift that I want to give to the world is, is connection. I love connecting with people. I think I'm good at it. I just, I, I love, I love to love. And so, yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, and that will always be my journey, regardless of whether it's Wellacopia or something else. And, and I see that's the same with you. You want to make big things happen. You're you're not about doing things in a small way, like um, like you were a talk show host, and you were like, I feel like this is the way to get my message across, and your podcast, and and writing, and events. Like I remember when we met, um, you you'd done some major events before, and oh my, well that was supposed to happen, <laughs> um, uh, and. Where was I? <laughs> I just have to
1: remember to you said I remember when we met you were going to oh, yeah. do events or something.
0: Okay, yeah. So yeah, you're you're just about having the greatest impact you can in in I guess one entity or one medium, which if that's something you're good at, you're um you're excellent at inspiring crowds, groups of people, and that's how you should do it. We all li- love listening to your voice, too. I'm glad that you did a podcast because your voice is wonderful.
1: Oh, thanks. It's very calming. Thank you.
0: yeah. um I know that's not something Monica and I have been praised for, or <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes. Um, I'm just very excited all the time. Yeah, so, I get it. Yeah, uh, which actually I love about myself, so I'm not going to put that yeah, in. There. I totally. like so passionate and animated. Uh, whether people can hear it or see it on videos. Uh, But, oh, I wanna go back to uh, us being the same and yet different. That is something I think about all the time, how we all have different journeys. um, We all have different ways of experiencing things, but we all feel the same things. Like feelings are the same, right? Um, the depth of them may be be different, but everyone probably at a certain point has been heartbroken. Everyone has had loss. Everyone has had pain. Um, everyone has had joy, uh, love all of these things. And personally, that's how I like to connect with people is based on feelings since we all have them. And, um, even in the respect of our pain. Right, there's that pain scale, right? Yeah. And I guess that that's very important from a clinical perspective, but I don't know if it's that important or as important when it comes to connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I know that, um, and I've admitted to this that I don't, on a regular basis, experience as much pain as a lot of our listeners and a lot of people in the WellAcoPia community. Um, but I have, and. Um, I know what it's like in relation to this world, right? And and I'm sure you can say that as well, right? Like, um, um, actually, yeah, I would love to know your your feelings um, when you are in the thick of it, like what that was like for you internally, because this is called invisible, not broken, and you actually have, you had an, or have an illness that isn't actually invisible, but your experience was invisible.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was something I think I didn't really understand until I was older because I wasn't really, I was never around anybody else who was going through, and I think that's true for a lot of people with chronic illnesses, you know, they're like the one child in the family or whatever that has it. But so I didn't really understand the whole like invisible illness thing and I as you said I didn't have an invisible illness. Um but the thing that was interesting that I'm realizing more and more as years go by is that I didn't have an invisible illness but with psoriasis people just thought it's just the skin, you know. And so that was a huge and this is even before I got the arthritis, but that was a huge issue because I spent a lot of time feeling the tremendous effects of like the inflammation and the you know autoimmune response in my body and the flare-ups and the internal things going on. So I would feel exhausted. I would have brain fog. I would feel irritable. Like all these things that now when they happen because they're so rare, I'm like, oh, well, Jesus Christ. Like sometimes I'm like, how did I ever survive my childhood feeling like this? All the time, and I remember, and no one understood myself, my family, my doctors. No one understood what I was feeling, um, and so I felt like you know when I remember when I was a kid, I would go to the nurse's office like every every other day in school because I felt like I had a fever of like 110. Like I just felt so there was so much heat radiating off of my body. My mom literally used to say it was hard for her when I tried to sit on her lap because there was so much heat
0: radiating off my body. So you actually, she actually felt it wasn't just
2: you. Yeah, it wasn't just me. Yeah, it was hot. And I would go to the nurse's office all the time because I felt so sick from like the inside. It wasn't, the skin was a whole other, that's a whole other thing, right? but no one understood. And everybody would always be like, what's wrong with this kid? Why does she keep saying that she's sick? Or why does she keep, you know, why is she lazy? Why is she not this? Why is she not that? And for the longest time, I thought I was like really lazy and really incompetent in a lot of ways because I wasn't focusing at school. I wasn't good at school. And I never had the energy to do like basic stuff, you know, but grow but afterwards, after a while, I realized I am not anywhere close to being lazy. Like I am not anywhere close to I was sick and I didn't feel good. Like I really did not feel good for most of my childhood. You know, most of my life. I mean, for it was a good twenty seven years that, you know, I was feeling pretty sick. So I don't know, it's just, it's just been a, so that's kind of what my, what my life was like, you know, earlier with the symptoms and, and everything that was going through physically. So,
0: yeah. Isn't it amazing how, the, when that experience is invisible, people make you doubt yourself. Like they, they doubt or like invalidate what you're experiencing. And then you start to, you start feeling feel like yeah. you're crazy. I know I felt like I was crazy for a long time, especially because, um, yeah. I'm not lazy in the slightest. I'm very yeah. type A, very adventurous. Like I love being physical. I was a serious ballet dancer. And then, um, I don't know. I think my, my parents, the word hypochondriac when I was young, floated around a couple of times and naturally a couple times is enough to remember that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do know that a lot of people with psoriasis um, or that know about psoriasis, just think of it as like, you know, some patchy skin or yeah.
1: Like
0: some, yeah. Uh, it's, um, and the, since your psoriasis was though, um, rather, I mean, really intense, you said that you had it from head to toe. W- what were people's reaction to that? Like, what kind of validation did you get there?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I think probably from my parents, as
2: much as we had a lot of disagreements, like the one thing was like, you know, I used to, um, because it was so itchy, it's just just like chicken pox. And I used to wake up every morning with like, my sheets were like bloody because I just annihilated myself in the middle of the night because that was the one time I couldn't stop, like I couldn't control myself. And um So it was like things like that that I remember, I don't, my parents, they're immigrants, they're Indian, like, it's not like they were sitting there validating me all the time. That's not the way it works. But I feel like in moments like that, when my mom would just like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, change your sheets, get ready for school, like, don't worry about it, you know, things like that. She was like my nurse, like most of my life, you know, and um yeah and so like and then they also were really good about like just trying everything um and I think about this a lot because I feel that I have a tremendous amount of privilege to have a family that can help me um and I know I do because most people in this country don't have that privilege and that my family was you know we were not we're not like wealthy or anything but we were well off enough that if like we had to pay $500 for a stupid test that I had to take and it was like a detrimental test like my parents could help me you know so i feel that they showed me their validation in those ways um which is very is vital you know um and then like just in terms of like well people would see it and there a lot, you know, I just got stared at in not good ways my whole childhood. Um, and that was really hard, you know. And I remember probably one of the biggest things my mom and I had, like talked about when I started growing up is just that, like, she was always trying to protect me from people staring at me. So she was always like, Don't wear the dress, or don't wear the short sleeves, or don't, you know, cover up. And I remember getting so upset with her about that when I was younger because I was just like, I I actually have the courage to show up and be like, who cares if someone's staring at me? I cared, but I was like, I'd rather just be me, right? And she just didn't want me to get hurt because she knew it bothered me. It's not like if someone stared that I wouldn't care, you know? Um, so we talk about that a lot as I've grown up and said, like, I wish you would have just like been like, screw it, honey. Like let them stare, you know, it's totally fine. Um but she wasn't, you know, she didn't she didn't know how to do that. She did her best. So yeah, so people would stare and uh my parents were great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and even when we have great parents, a lot of people they're still people and don't always know how to handle situations. I'm sure she didn't prep for having a a child with psoriasis. Yeah. Um, and there was love in what she was doing. Absolutely. At the same time, you we were like, okay, but well, I want to handle this differently. And is that what brought you to your sort of career journey of self love? Because I know now you're um, really focused on inspiring the chronic illness community, but it really started more with general self love and beauty in and out.
2: Yeah, yeah, it did. I only started talking about chronic illness in this like very aggressive <laughs> way. Um, you know, probably it's, you know, probably the end of 2017 was when I started to do that. Um, I think that was right around the time that we met, actually.
0: Yeah, that was our, our first conversation. I think one of the reasons you wanted to meet with me was, this is where I want to go now. This yeah. is where I'm pivoting my career. Um, these are my people and I want to work with them. So yeah, yeah. November 2017. So that was, yeah, right. that was
2: like a month before I kind of more publicly, like on social media started talking about it. And you had emailed me. So it felt very serendipitous. And um yeah, I think so I started doing what I'm doing, because I for a lot of different reasons. I mean, one, I had tried to be an actor in my early twenties. I'm not a good actress. I just need to be myself. Like I just, you know, so that wasn't going to work. And I also didn't like the, like the superficiality of the industry. And I didn't really love like, you know, for some people I didn't look Indian enough for other people. I didn't look this way. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't want to be what you need me to be, you know? So that didn't really fly. But I did try it because I always had the skill of like performance that was always just, you know, from a kid, that was just always a part of me. So I kind of thought I was supposed to do that. But then before I started all of that, I I had done, which we've spoken about the Landmark Forum, and I had trained to be a life coach. And I had started when I was married, my ex-husband had really been the one to show me all of this um, you know, introspective work and like the study of how you're being and all of those things that I, my, my parents never knew anything about. I never had anybody in my life teach me that. So he was really the one, uh, and we got married when I was very young. So um, I was 20 when I got married, but he introduced me to the landmark and all these things when I was like 19. So that kind of started that part of myself developing of like a deeper, you know, way of thinking and um, just managing my emotions better and things like that. And then I also loved this performance aspect. So I had kind of been on this mission of trying to figure out, I I kept praying, like, how am I gonna merge these two worlds? I don't really want to Not that there's anything wrong with either, but I could just feel for myself, like it wasn't enough for me to be only a coach and to just coach people all day. Like that's for the people who are meant to do that. That's freaking awesome. And they're it's it's amazing. But I just knew that wasn't the full story for me. And I also knew that the performance thing, like, wasn't the full story for me. You know what I mean? So I was just like, neither of these things feel like fully it. I feel like they're kind of, you know, half of it. Um, and so, yeah, I kept praying and I kept asking God, like, show me what I am meant to do. And I also had this really deep knowing and like message from God that my journey had been, you know, not really about me and it was meant for me to share it with other people. And I had felt that from a very young age, even though I had no idea what that meant. Um, and so yeah, so it was just like a, you know, a journey around that. And I would say from twenty to twenty-eight when I started my company, it was kind of that, you know, just like trying to figure out what is this gonna be, what is this, what am I gonna do, what is it supposed to be? And then I decided that I was supposed to have a talk show um that, you know, helped people, right? So not a talk show just to have a talk show, but a talk show to help people. So that was me merging both of the worlds. And, um, you know, it's a very long story, but essentially I ended up building my own online magazine and, you know, my own online platform. And I had all these contributors writing for me and I did video and I did all these things. And my um, my goal was to have somebody see it and one day decide that like, I deserve to have a talk show because I had no... I had no money. I had no, I, you know, at this time I had just gotten divorced. So I had, you know, and my parents were living in Hong Kong. So I didn't have any resources. I didn't have any, I didn't have any experience, you know? So I was like, okay, no one's going to give me a talk show just like this. I have to show them that I'm supposed to have one. And three years later, I got a talk show from basically from starting that website. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, to answer your, you know, your you know the base of your question about like pivoting you know I I really did just the self-love help, self-help wellness stuff for a long time because I think a lot of people we could get away with it in some ways like you didn't have to get and not that I ever thought of it that way but that's how I'm thinking of it now like we never had to go deeper right because society wasn't pushing us to and people were okay with me just talking about beauty. And I weave my psoriasis story and my skincare and stuff in, in the middle of it. But it wasn't as heavy and raw and, you know, vulnerable as, as it is now. And I didn't know, to be honest with you, I didn't know how to get there a lot of the time. Like, I knew how to do what I was doing. And, that, and it was always very authentic. But, it, what, but it, I knew I also needed to go deeper. And every time I would try or think about pushing and going deeper, it just wasn't happening naturally. So I just wouldn't do it. And then I think after the election in 2016, everything just totally changed. And we went from living in a world that was full of suffering, but that people ignored to living in a world that's full of suffering that you absolutely cannot ignore. And I just feel like my work changed so much. I I went through a time where like I wasn't working as much because things weren't cooking as much. And then eventually at the end, and all of 20, 2017, I kind of spent the year like just being like, what is this next thing supposed to be? What is it supposed to be? And then by the end of that year, it was when I was like really struck with, I had spoken at this event and I, I spoke to a bunch of women who asked questions at the end and the women that had chronic illnesses at the end that that asked questions, I helped them in ways that I never knew were possible just by being myself, you know? And it was was life-changing for me because I was like, that is the feeling I've been searching for my whole career. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know, this is what you want me to talk about? Like, really? Okay, I can do that. So that was kind of the trajectory of everything.
0: So it, you could say in a way it fell into your lap, but not really because you declared that you were gonna do this. You declared yeah. that you wanted to find a way to uh, express what you believed in uh, in a way that resonated with people. And because you were open to that. Yeah. I love when you say that you, you asked questions to God and you were looking for those answers but within yourself with like hearing. I know that when, I, I mean, I pray and I definitely um, ask questions out loud. And, and it's amazing when you do that, how they come to you from whatever yes. spiritual source. I mean, I did that in sort of a transition with Wellacopia, like we were talking about recently. Uh, I asked myself, so I, I was also at a point where I actually didn't know if Wellacopia could continue. Uh, because from the business side, it's it's just me yeah. um, And I thought how how first of all am right. I ready to let this go? Uh, and then the message that was sent back to me was first of all, no, this is not over this is not over and the reason was I I'm so deeply want to help people um in this way and I know that that's how you felt as well and and this idea of bringing community together to build it uh, has brought me almost close to tears on, on seriously a daily basis talking to everyone. Um, not to get into uh, that, but uh, I love that it's something you you couldn't ignore. Your intuition is so strong. I, I love when you talk about your intuition, how you you feel so deeply and you know that it's not something. Uh, you could ignore. It's, it's like, it speaks to you. What are some, what are some other moments where that, that happened that really stick out to you?
1: Oh gosh,
2: there's been so many. I mean, it's pretty much every day. Um, yeah. when I'm, when I'm open to it, cause there's times when I'm not open to it and I'm being a brat and then God's like, okay, I'm going to take everything away from you and then you'll start listening to me. <laughs> our uh our pattern um and it works because then I start listening um but yeah I mean it happens all the time like I'm I think the first thing that's coming to mind is you know I know we haven't talked about Chronicon yet but I'm building this project and and um (laughs) it's been like it's been so terrifying and so amazing. Um, but like I first thought about this new project in the fall um, of 2018. And I remember, I'll probably never forget the moment that I realized that I was going to do this thing. And it's like, I, I, I know when I'm in this space of like, I'm receiving information Versus like I'm pushing a result. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a very different space. So I was standing in the middle of KirbyCon, which is like a conference for Kirby plus size women. And I had never been before. And now I'm friends with the with the owner, with the founder, one of the founders. And um, I was so inspired, you know, for these women. I was just like, oh my God, like they have built this like mecca where these women Sorry, it's an alert on my computer. Um, These women come to KirbyCon and they are revered and they are loved. And the brands are like not talking to them because they're pitying them or something. And like, oh, sure, we'll get you a plus size outfit. They're like, girl, you are fabulous and you deserve to be here. And where have you been all our lives? Like, you're so amazing. And I was walking around seeing all of this and it's palpable, you know, and there's hundreds of women. And I was like, what would it be like if someone who had a chronic illness felt this, who like came to something and they were like, girl, I don't care if you have psoriasis all over your legs. Give me those toes. I'm going to give you a pedicure right now. It's going to be amazing. So what if you're, you know, you've got alopecia and you can't get a braid bar braid. I'm going to, you know, massage your scalp and it's going to be amazing. Like we're going to do this. You know what I mean? Like whatever it might be. And I was just like, I know I would have loved that, right? Because I have so much trauma around all of those different things. And I just started walking around and I was like, what would it be called? Like chronic confront. like, I don't know. I just, I remember like trying to figure it out. And then I was like, chronic con? And I was like, really God, really? You're giving this to me now? Like, that's how it. that's how I talk to God. I'm just like we're best friends he gets on my nerves a lot of times and he's also my favorite being (laughs) you know um spiritual being but still um so you know i don't know so so i was walking around and i had this epiphany i guess you could call it and then for months after that i was like i don't know god i'm not really sure i kind of know the i could feel the energy of what it was when I fe- when I felt that connection to creating that thing, I was like, "Oh, I can feel that this could be a big undertaking." And I was just like, "Listen, God, I'm not sure if you got the right girl." Literally, <laughs> these are the conversations that I was having with God, and I was just like, "I I still have two chronic illnesses." I've done so many events in my past and they like almost killed me sometimes because I was just doing everything myself. I don't have any capital. Like who the hell do you think is gonna put on this conference? Like I was just like, I'm not sure if we have the right girl. So then I like, I like didn't tell anyone for like six months. And then I told my friends at Healthline, uh, Healthline Media, and I, I have this one girl in particular, Nancy over there, who does all these partnership, um, influencer partnerships
0: and stuff. And she's been awesome. We've worked together for years.
2: And she was coming into the city, into New York for a visit. And so I kind of was like, I haven't told anyone this, but I have this idea and I just need someone to tell me if it's insane because it's not, it's not letting me go. Like It's just holding on to me for dear life. And she was super into it. And I was like, okay, great. You should just get Hellfine to like do the whole thing with me. <laughs> but they said no at first. And it was, ama- it was actually the best thing that they could have ever done because it forced me to, you know, it forced me to get scrappy. It forced me to think about things and really ground myself in what I needed and what I wanted and get a few things settled on my own. And then when, um, you know, a few months later, like a little bit into the planning process, I called Nancy again and we had another conversation. And I was like, how about you guys just do this one part? How about we just do something, you know, because I couldn't see Chronicon happening without Healthline. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And she called me back and she said, we want to do it all. Yeah. And it was amazing. But even though, like, I guess like the whole conversation about intuition, like what I'm trying to say is that all of this has been like one intuitive moment after another. And when I'm the most frustrated, it's when I can't hear what this higher message is trying to tell me. Like, and and that happens, you know, it just happens because I'm tired. It happens because I'm stressed out or I'm busy. It happens because I'm like, you know, being stubborn, like whatever. It happens all the time. Right. And when it happens, I have to really just like unplug my computer and, you know, take time to myself and just really not, um, you know, push myself to do anything. Um, and then the messages start again. So,
0: (laughs) Like I said, you, you don't do anything small. You're all about the big. And I love that it's, um, it's, all, it's kind of going with the flow, but the flow being your energy, your, like, your intense energy to, to make things happen. Uh, and that, that's beautiful because a lot of people get really scared by that. Sorry, I know you get scared by it. We all get scared by it. But as you said before, you have courage. And it it takes time to build that courage, and a lot of us have it because of our chronic illnesses. Oh yeah, resilient in that way, Uh, and so I guess that's part of the silver lining we were talking about, right? Yeah, is we become strong in 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 our own ways. Like, actually, I want to mention this. Someone posted on social media. I don't know if it was a quote, something that really resonated with me. they were kind of angered by the fact that people call those with chronic illnesses brave. Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually I'd be like, you're so brave, you're so strong, yada, yada. But the truth is we're all brave in our own way. We all have our own difficult uh, situations and life journeys. This happens to be ours. Uh, Some might be more courageous than others or going through that to become more uh, strong, brave, resilient, what what have you. but it's actually another way in which we're all human.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that
2: and I also think that um like when I hear that like you're so brave, I'm just like I didn't ask for this. Like I'm just yeah. showing up for, you know, the call that has been given to me, but I didn't ask for this. Like I'm not being brave. I'm maybe being strong because I have to get through this ridiculous amount of pain or whatever it is, but I don't know, something about brave is almost like you're choosing something or it's probably not the truth, but that's how it feels. You know, something about brave feels like, I'm going to be brave and like ask this guy out or I'm going to be brave and like climb this mountain. And like, it feels like more like a choice, I guess, in the way that it's said. But I don't feel like I'm brave for living the trauma that I've lived with my body. I'm like, I'm resilient and I'm strong because I got through it, right? But I'm still getting through it. But yeah, brave is not the word. I agree. I wouldn't use that word to describe it because I'm like, I didn't choose this. Like this wasn't my choice, you know? That's a
0: good clarification of choice uh, between being strong and resilient and getting through um, whatever one is going through. Yeah, brave. Yeah, when I think about brave, I actually go to like a Disney movie where I think about right. the prince storming the castle or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, that's... That really is so true. Um, back to Chronicons, I really want to talk more about that. Uh, sure. I love the name. It, it really is so perfect. I'm glad that came to you. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about what it is going to be like?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, so it's happening October 28th, and it's happening in New York City, in, right in Union Square on 17th between Fifth Avenue and Union Square West. and um, Yeah, I'm partnering with Healthline for all of it, which is great. So they're making sure that like, you know, if anybody's listening that can't make it to New York, it'll be live streamed. And like, there's just so many awesome things that they're helping me with. Um, They're also creating all the content with me, which is really great. So we're picking some amazing speakers and we're pretty much all set with our speakers, which has been a really fun process. Um, And it's going to be from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. And so 10 a.m. to 5.30 is, like, all content. There'll be lunch included and all these different things and all these panels. There's going to be panels, like, chronically capable of love and talking about, like, intimacy and love and how to love yourself and then how to love in a relationship when you're dealing with so much with your body. Um, Or am I sick enough, which is, like, talking about invisible illnesses and, like, the, you know, ways people are treated because they don't look sick. Um, you know, and things like that. So, it's um, it's going to be a really special day. I'm really excited about it. And then from five thirty to seven thirty, we have what I'm calling the chronically conscious connection, and um, it's going to be basically this awesome two hour party of like delicious foods and you know great brands and partners and like photo booths and you know things that are really fun um, that people will be able to participate in. So
1: that's a little bit about it.
0: Fabulous. I love it. It's like educational, inspiring, but then also a party.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I love that. Well, actually, yeah, I didn't mention this earlier, but something we did do together, a little thing was you were um, a wonderful guest at my, uh, at Wellacopia's Care Fair. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, there was a similar feel to it. I, I called it the care fair. Actually, I really wanted to call it like pamper party, but pampering really wasn't the right word because I wanted the word party in there. That was sort of the essence was it was about self-care and making that a positive thing rather than an obligation for people with chronic illnesses. Sort of like, yeah, a celebration of care. Uh, I really thank you for being a part of that. It was very special. I love that you had a fireside chat that was very intimate. It was perfect. uh, for that kind of environment. And I'm glad that now you're taking it to like such an a, a, a expansive level. Um, I, uh, so um, quite honestly, and I hate this, um, I am actually gonna be in London during Chronicon. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not going anywhere other than that, like anytime soon, and- um, Oh, wow, that's so like, funny. I hear about that, but I will watch the live stream. Um, I know I can at certain points, What's interesting um, about me going to London at that time is it's for my my first cousin's wedding, who really is like my brother. He just happens to live in England. Um, and he has a very serious, lifelong, honestly, probably fatal illness. Um, and I've been trying to open up with him about that. I, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast. I hope he does though, actually, at the same time. Uh, because it's, I, I don't know if it's, Men, I mean, I hate to judge that way, but look, a lot of people who talk about chronic illness, we've even been alluding to the fact that it's mostly women, uh, because women are now becoming more outspoken. We're more in touch with our emotions. Again, I'm speaking just generally, and this is for everyone. And I really, I really want him to be able to do that Mm -hmm. at the same time. I know that part of his way of dealing with his illness is ignoring it except for the things he has to do clinically right. um, he even said that he so he has cystic fibrosis um and he said he lives at like a I what he said let's say 75% um lung capacity because it's a um, pulmonary yeah. illness and, and um, amongst other things and he said he does that because um he wants to live as normal life as possible. So he's okay with being at that capacity. Um, mm. I, I just, I don't know, I felt like sharing that all of a sudden, but yeah. also I will be at his wedding.
1: Yeah. Uh, he,
0: he, like thinking about both things that day. Uh, and actually something else I, I do love about this marriage that's happening is he has had a hard time with dating
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because he obviously can't hide this illness, nor should he. And it is a lifelong thing. Uh, And he found a woman who obviously, like, she cares about him, but that's not a part of his identity. And I do love that. And when they got engaged, it was actually the first time right after he was hospitalized, the first time in like seven years. And she was still like, This is my man. This is the life we're going to live. And I'm here and I'm down for it. And I, I, Oh God, I have to not cry now. Like that was, um, I was so, so happy that he found someone like that. We all deserve someone like that. I mean, everyone in the world deserves someone that accepts you for everything that you are. But I do know that dating with a chronic illness can be particularly difficult because it means that in some respect, even if it's not as much anymore, they need to take, take care of us. They're part of that. Um, I, are you interested in sharing about that around dating? Oh, sure. What do you want to know? Um, I guess, I mean, dating's hard period, especially in New York. I used to live in New York City, used to date. Mm-hmm. I find found my man on an app, which is a miracle. Um, but, uh, yeah, has, has there been any difficulty with dating in relation to chronic illness? And what have you learned from that?
2: Yeah, I mean, not as much anymore because it's not debilitating and, you know, that kind of thing. But absolutely, I mean, when I was, well, when I was getting engaged, I was the sickest I've ever been. So, like, I don't, I mean, (laughs) my ex-husband, he was a, you know, although we didn't last, he was a miracle in so many ways because he never saw my skin. And he always saw like the woman that I am today, he always saw her and I couldn't even see her. I was like, no, I'm this like diseased, you know, scaly person who like is tired all the time and whatever, but he always saw her. So from that way, I had a lot that I had to overcome in order to be okay with being vulnerable with him, but he never made it hard for me, which is great. Um, and then after that, you know, in my twenties, especially because that was when my psoriasis was like the worst. Yeah, I don't know. I was pretty lucky to meet men that really didn't care. Um, but it's not like you know. I, I think the I think the thing has always been is, is that I cared. right? Right? It's like, I didn't want to have scaly legs and, you know, I didn't want to have like flaky skin or be scratching and bleeding and all of that crazy stuff that was happening to my body all the time. So it was more of that. And I, and I also think it was also a lot about like, I had to really, I've had to really work on my self-esteem and just like knowing like, and being comfortable with the way that I look or the way that I present myself or the way that my body is and whether that's because my weight is fluctuating, which happens all the time. And I've been talking about it more and more lately, um, because of my inflammation or my digestive issues or my hormone issues, it's like things are always fluctuating. Um, So even that brings up insecurity, you know, or, you know, then me being insecure about my skin. So I've just really had to really work on my self-esteem so that when I meet someone and I interact with the guy, I don't need him to fill my self-esteem cup. Like I'm doing that on my own. Um, And he happens to also be somebody who thinks I'm great. You know what I mean? So it hasn't been such an issue that like the guy makes the thing of my condition, it's been more how I feel about myself because of it. So that's been something I've had to really work on, which I've, you know, come pretty far with it, but
1: initially it was really hard.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, And I truly agree with it, especially when it comes to um, things that are external. Um, I feel like that might be, no pun intended, an extra layer um, of... um, difficulty sometimes because it's so out there in the open. Um and your I mean your ex does really sound like uh he was an angel. Um I assume he still is a wonderful person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh seeing through that. Uh but yeah self love. I mean self love is everything and it's so much harder than it sounds but it is real and ongoing. I I think that given that you are self-love guru, actually, how would, how would you define self-love?
1: Well, I have a definition
2: actually. (laughs) Um, So I I decided I needed to make a definition for self-love because it feels very intangible and very esoteric. And it's hard to kind of feel like, you know, how to, you know, know if you're having self-love. Um, so, my definition of self love is the ability to be more committed to your happiness than to your suffering in every single moment and you know and you can interchange those words if you want. you could say peace to your trauma like whatever whatever you want to say, but for me, happiness and suffering really just stood out so strongly because I felt like. There were these clear forks in the road in every moment for me. Like I could, and it's still that way, right? Like I can get off, you know, from doing this podcast and I can go do something that makes me feel nourished or I can go do something that makes me feel crappy. You know, I can eat something that makes me feel nourished or I can eat something that makes me feel crappy. I can talk to someone
1: that makes me feel nourished. I can talk to someone that makes me feel crappy.
2: And those are, you know, in every moment, that's what we're doing. We're choosing between our happiness and our suffering. And so sometimes it's more, and sometimes I've even said like, choose suffering. If that's really where you're at, like don't be ashamed to choose suffering. I've chosen suffering many times in my life. And I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of with that. We are human beings. It is inevitable that we will have suffering. You know, our lives are not about um, avoiding suffering. That's not what this is about. It's about finding how to ride the wave of suffering, finding how to, you know, feel okay in the midst of suffering or how to love yourself in the midst of suffering. You know, it's not about never suffering. And I think that's a huge misconception in like the wellness and self help industries, you know. Um, and that's something that I really want to change for people who are dealing with chronic illness is that like we're allowed to experience suffering. Our bodies are freaking annihilating us. Like it's not, you know, it's not like we're, wimps that are like, Oh, I stubbed my toe and I'm like miserable. No, it's like people are losing kidneys and their hair is falling out and they can't, their bones are deforming. And it's real stuff, you know? So, but in the midst, in the face of all of that, I just really felt like my mental state, I had this choice in every moment. If I was going to fall into the suffering and really just marinate in suffering. Or if I was going to go and say, okay, I'm going to choose happiness in this moment. What would that look like? And sometimes it's like something stupid. Like I love organizing. Sometimes it's like, I'm just going to sit here on my bed because I can't move and I'm going to like fold all my t-shirts that are in a pile or something. You know, I don't know. It doesn't have to be monumental. Right. Um, But it just being aware of that,
1: I think makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. I yeah, I was gonna say that listening for me that's the beginning of every self-love journey and I really feel like it's it's never like oh I there I have self-love um ongoing it's it's moments um where I kind of have to reteach myself uh what that means to me and first and foremost I just like I stop I stop my thoughts I stop whatever I'm doing I'm like okay what am I feeling like? I need to identify that feeling. Uh, really listen to what my body's telling, my mind's telling me, and uh, and maybe I want to bask in it for a while. In fact, I think a lot of the time I I bask in or marinate it uh, in it, like you said. Actually, so I I pulled out this paper that I have on my desk. I, it's called Breath Break. <laughs> I have there sometimes, and a lot of the time it just um, isn't like for when I'm feeling stressed, maybe about work, but it really applies to everything. And it's like literal steps. (laughs) If you can see it It says, Oh, that's great. Close your computer and turn off your phone. Lie down somewhere. I'm often in my carpet in front of my desk and take three deep breaths. Ask yourself the following out loud or on paper. What have I been doing or being that is causing this breakdown? And then there's like other stuff, but I love having those conversations with myself. And then the choice. Do I want to stay with this for a while and really understand it? Or do I want to move forward and choose the, let's just say the positive, um, the happiness side of whatever uh, this is, but ignoring it, pushing it to the side. Yeah. I um, I don't know if that's ever really been helpful for anything. <laughs> um, it comes out eventually yeah exactly. uh any of you have been to therapy <laughs> it will come out eventually, which is yeah. good. It's good whenever it comes out, even if it's two decades later but uh definitely yeah you can't you can't ignore that stuff um so uh, this always happens. I want to keep talking, but it is time to wrap up, so I want to end with um actually in this case since we're having this this real conversation. We've talked about how we're just humans, uh, but at the same time, others and myself consider you an influencer or, or rather a leader. How would you recommend uh, anyone listening, any any, people with chronic illnesses be a leader in their own lives on um, a personal level or even a public level?
1: Um,
2: I mean, I've never really thought about that before. I mean, I guess what I would say is, you know, the first thing that comes up for me is education and allyship. And so what I mean by that is like when you're around people who don't get it, and this could be privately, you know, or publicly, but a lot of us are just living our lives with our families and, and our friends. Um, our inclination, which is fair because we don't have a lot of energy. But us as the people with the chronic illness, our inclination might be to like, you know, go into our shell and isolate and disconnect. And I think I want more people to, as much as you have the energy to like push back from that a little bit and let your loved ones know, like send them an article or something about spoon theory or whatever it might be, you know, and just be like, this is, the reality of what I'm going through, I know you don't have the same situation, and I know you don't understand because you don't have to live with this, but I need you to be educated about my experience, you know, and so I think that like it's like unapologetic, you know, and it's also like like righteous, you know what I mean, in the best possible way. It's like I deserve you want me to know about your human experience because maybe you're the majority. And everybody quotes, everybody is just like you. That's not actually true. By 2020, there'll be 157 million people in this country who will be experiencing a chronic illness. And 80 million of those people will have multiple chronic illnesses. And we are not a niche market. And I think that's where everything that I'm doing right now is fueled from that place. Like you can feel it in the way that I'm even saying this to you. Like I am angry, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, and it's, I'm not angry for me. I am angry for those 157 million people that the media is not talking to, that so many people in our lives don't understand, that people are not hiring for jobs that, you know, like the list goes on and on. The doctors are not taking seriously that, you know, it's just another area where people of color are being so marginalized and completely ignored on the medical front. Like we could have hours long conversation about it, you know? So it's like, there's this one part of this whole conversation where it's like women like you and I, who have had the fortune and the privilege of, of actually working through so much of our stuff and, you know, and we're still dealing with it, but we've, able to, we're able to maintain a very full life in our own way at the same time, you know? And that's amazing. Like that is amazing. And that is a very important side to it, right? Is to be able to show that we can thrive with a chronic illness. But then there's also the other side, which is all of this conversation for people who are really not being taken care of or taken seriously. And so I think the more you can get angry about it, the better, to be honest with you. I think that anger is beautiful and it's powerful and it's not bad. And um, I'd rather people be angry than be self deprecating, which is kind of the two things that we usually go to, right? So I think if you want to be a leader, start by demanding that people understand what's going on with you, demand it. And even like things like, you know, I have a lot of food sensitivities because of my autoimmune stuff. And so I started, I used to never tell people like what I could and couldn't eat. Like if I I get invited to like a brand dinner or like a friend's, you know, house for a, you know, dinner party or something. And I used to be like, if you could just have like one piece of food that I can eat, like I'll be fine. Don't worry about me, whatever. I created a whole document. That basically tells people, this is why Nitika can't eat certain foods. These are all the foods she can't eat. Here are some great options of what she can eat. And it's like really pleasant and like, you know, positive. But I've become unapologetic about like, okay, this brand wants me to come check out this restaurant and like tweet about it or post about it or whatever. Are you going to honor who I am and where I'm at and not be shy about it? You know, like, I'm just, I'm angry in a good way. I think it's really good, <laughs> anger. Yeah, so.
0: thanks. thanks for being so honest about about <laughs> in this way. I really agree with you. Uh, I've been channeling that a lot lately, actually, in dancing. <laughs> My anger about what's going on politically, um, including with our community. Uh, so basically, be a leader through advocacy for yourself and for your community. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is perfect. Um, so thank you. And th- I mean, th- thank you for everything you've said, everything that you do. It's been a true honor having you on this podcast and um, uh, I'll tell everyone where to find you, every- like about Chronicon, because there there are so many avenues where you have provided uh, value. And I want to make sure everybody knows about them. Uh Thanks again for being on this podcast and I will definitely be talking to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap on another episode in our Spoonie Leader series with Nitika Chopra. You can find her doing weekly content in her free Facebook group, the Chronic Illness Crew, and daily on her Instagram at Nitika Chopra. I'll definitely put those links in the show notes. She's also started her own podcast called The Point of Pain, so definitely check that out also. As for this podcast, if you like these episodes, please share. Also, taking a quick second right now to share some feedback with a rating and review would be highly appreciated. The more feedback, the better the show. If you want to reach out to me directly, feel free to email eva at wellacopia.com. And until next time, be kind, be gentle, be badass.